Yo, yo, what's up, man? Here it is. It's here. We're going to go through the intro real quick. Let's go, man. Oh, nice. We're yeah, here. We're here, bro. Finally nice. made it, man. Everybody, welcome. I'm the promoter. I'm the DJ. And this is the first one. So, Number one, Uno. Yes, get excited. <laughs> so we're going to talk about what it's about. Um, yeah, tell them what this whole thing is about and why we're here. Today. It's about our lives in the nightlife industry and the perspectives of a promoter and a DJ. Because yep. I don't know what Jeff does <laughs> at all. I know what Jason does. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are going to get the first-hand experiences of all the insane stories that both of us have. Throughout the years. We won't say how many years we've been That's in a lot business, of years. But, yeah. And uh, we'll be covering some other topics. Um, getting to the next level. These young DJs, they want to get to the next level. These young promoters. And we got some great stories we want to share with you guys, like about all the crazy things we've seen from celebrities to, like, crazy instances we've been a part of. Tour life. Shit we've seen on the road. Yeah, man. Um, Jason's going to tell you how to be a better promoter. <laughs> nope. No. He's going to tell you how to be a better DJ. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I don't even know what I'm doing. I just yeah. do. Just <laughs> he just happens. does it. Uh, but best of all, you're going to get a one-of-a-kind look at what really goes behind the velvet ropes. Yeah, you know? man. I don't know what you guys do in the front of the house. It's like being yeah. in a kitchen. You know what I mean? Chef... Knows the difference between the front of the house and back of the house, but I don't know the front of the house. Well, I'm going to tell you. Let's do it, man. All right, let me get an intro song for you, then. Okay. Let me introduce the co-host. Let's do it. Uh-oh. Ooh, that's that's big. That's big. Coming in big. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm worthy of this one. All right, so let me let me introduce my co-hosts. He can be me, found. <laughs> he can be found behind the DJ booth, mixing the best tunes. This man can be in some of the... Found into some of the hottest New York clubs. <laughs> the Box, Bounce, Little Sister. He's had residencies at the Borgata Atlantic City and has become Big Night's resident DJ. That's right. This man has played across the country in venues from New York to LA. DJ for Obama. He's spun everywhere into Chicago's Wit Rooftop to Omnia Vegas. He's toured with Swayze, Travi McCoy, Pete Wentz, Batman Scoop. A DJ for over 20 years. Alright. A man that has a music knowledge that is second to none. Not only a friend of mine, but also a big fan of this guy. Please welcome my co-host, DJ Jason Smith. Yeah, that was a good intro, bro. Mine's not as nice as that. I I did some work on yours, but here we go. And and it's so great to be here. So this is gonna be fun. And this is my co-host, Jeff, Mr. Jeff London. He's a promoter up in VIP host for the past 20 years in, in, in Boston's top clubs. He's also a former DJ, so he knows what's going on. And he's also hosted thousands of celebrities and athletes from Justin Bieber to Post Malone, Paris Hilton, Paulie D. He's had everybody at the club, even old school artists that we're going to get into that are pretty amazing. Absolutely. The list goes on and on. The lover of all music and a good friend of mine and co-host, my guy, Mr. Jeff London, y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Make some noise. Thank you. Yeah, man. All right, guys. Yeah. (laughs) So we're all right. This is our first one. Yeah. How you feeling? I'm feeling all right, man. I've been excited about this, and I'm glad we're actually, you know, getting involved. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this for 
good good number of months, you know. Yeah, it happened at dinner one night. It was pretty funny. We're like just having dinner and a few drinks, and we're like, God, we have some great stories, right? We have the best stories. And we're like, this should be a podcast. Absolutely. I hope you guys like it because I think it's pretty fucking It's going to be funny. awesome. So beginning on this, how did you get started in DJing? Why don't you give the people a little background to the oh, story? I never even thought about that. So I got involved in DJing. When I was a kid, I remember going to the circus, and I'd see, like, these clowns. You know what I mean? And I was like, yo, I, they're just entertaining people, and they're making people laugh and have so much fun. And I remember catching myself watching the clowns from behind the scenes. And, like, I want to do that shit. And obviously, I found out I couldn't be a clown. I can't <laughs> sing. I could dance a little bit for a little white boy. But I didn't, I, I didn't have – I wanted to be able to – Make people feel good. In, in I remember going to a teen dance one year and seeing the DJ for the first time, and like like in person, and was like, "Wow, this guy's controlling this whole atmosphere." Absolutely. And people are just having fun, and and it, I just wanted to be able to do that. So I learned from there, and and that's what got me into starting DJ at twelve years old, and basically. I just wanted people to forget about the shittiness of their day, and, and it was a way for me to create music in a way. My favorite thing was making mixtapes before being in the clubs because that's awesome. what how you got to be in the clubs. So what year was your first mixtape? How old were you? We're not going by years. No. We're not going to age ourselves. We're not going to nah, age Nah, not at all. Uh, I think my first one was probably when I was like 15, and this is back junior when high. This is straight vinyl to. Oh, this is before Serato. This was like one turntable, a shitty, realistic Radio Shack mixer, right, and a fucking cassette deck. Wow. So I was going between a cassette deck, and it was crazy. But we used to also do those mixtapes back in the day before I actually started DJing. It was the pause and play, right, right, pause and record. So you like stutter like. You know, you'd go from, he had to have the double tape deck to do it. So one would record and you'd play and jump the, the you know, the cassette on the other side and record so it'd stay like, let's go, 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 go. You right. know what so I mean? No so it's like chopping yeah, and right. shit. And you'd be like, yo, at this one spot, pause it, and then I'll start the next song. They might not mix, but it went on beat. It was pretty crazy. That's so. pretty crazy. Did you have any early DJ names when you were younger or just you just went by? No, yeah. I did, yeah. Uh, I didn't just go by my name, but people thought it was fake anyway. So my original DJ name was Jay Boogie. I like it. And my cousin gave it to me. Shout out my cousin Slim on the track. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so you, it was like when L Bugs was hot, and right? You know, you know Fuji's and shit. Now we're dating shit. Oh, yeah. Fuck. So, anyways. But I changed my name to DJ Jason Smith this is when I moved to New York and, and I had a manager and my agent and we were really looking for a way to rebrand it because everybody at that point, then it became everybody was a boogie. There was Ty Boogie, J Boogie, right. L Boogie. There was just too many DJ Boogie names. So at that time, I was an open format DJ. If you don't know what an open format DJ is, you play a mix of everything. You don't play just hip hop. You don't play just house. You just don't play rock. You play everything. Right. So 
my manager and at the time, Johnny Maroney, shout out to Johnny Maroney and Ricky over at, uh, we had Mood Swing. That was a long time ago. It was the first DJ booking agency, actually. And uh, he thought I should change my name to Jason Smith. And there was no open format DJs at that time using their real name. It was only house DJs at that point right, that were right. using, like, their, their like, full, full names, yeah. like David Guetta and, like, you know. So we went with it, and when we rebranded it and came up with, like, you know, I everything became I am Jason Smith. So we had shirts made up that said, who the fuck is Jason Smith? And on the back says, I am Jason Smith. So the branding was there. You know, there was no branding between Boogie. You know yeah. what I mean? And well, I, I, I got older. I got away from J Boogie and went to Boogie. And so. that's super important. We're going to talk about, you know, later shows about branding and, and how and how it's helped you through separate yourself from other DJs. And Not and, only that, but nowadays... When I came up, you just had to be a DJ. Mm-hmm. Now you got to be a fucking graphic designer. Yeah, you have to be a fucking PR person. You, you know what I mean. You, you have your hand in so many different jars, and it's hard to create and focus and hone on that craft when you're fucking making up a shitty flyer when you don't even know how to make right, one. Right, right. Because right. there is no flyer. Or exactly, I have to put up this Instagram post. Like it distracts you from what I really want to create, you know what I mean? And it sucks. No, and I, some kids are DJing nowadays because their Instagram's hot, but you get them in a club, they, they fucking they suck. suck. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, what was some, we mentioned some of the clubs that you DJed in New York. Yeah. Now, at the beginning, obviously, you don't, you don't go right to the box. You don't go right. How did you build up? Did you, what were some of the clubs that you started on early on? I remember when I started DJing, and this yeah. is going to be dating myself. You know, I, I was in the college sports bar, you know, DJing. Oh, yeah, that's Thursday where it always night. starts, yeah. bro. It always um, starts like So can so you give us, maybe you can give us a story about your first break then. How about that? My first break in New York City. Well, my first break was at 17. I started DJing in nightclubs at 17 years old. Wow. And I remember going into school on Friday, and I'd smell like booze, and all the kids would look at me like, oh, he's such a scumbag, right? <laughs> like I'm some dirtbag. But when they turned 21, they couldn't drink, and they're, like, looking like losers. I'm laughing at them. The tables <laughs> yeah. turned, you know what I mean? Right. So my first break after that, I stayed at one place from 17 till I moved to New York. When I moved to New York, it was hard. I had, I had connects. But nobody was like, oh, oh, you're in New York now? Here you go. Right, exactly. So yeah. it was, I was in New York for almost two years, a year and a half, without gigging, just mm-hmm. trying to get to that point. It wasn't handed to me. I had to prove myself to somebody else. Right. And once I proved myself to that person, he was like, yo, I'm going to hook you up with this kid. Then it started going. He just wasn't going to take care of me and say, I moved to New York. Here, here you go. I got yeah, all these gigs you for you. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I had to work. You I was to working, earn it. Yeah. I was working in a real estate company, and I sucked. And then I went from there, and I started working at FAO Schwartz, the toy store. Nice. And then I started working for Mood Swing at a booking agency, which I didn't know shit. No, CG at the time. And they brought me in to help them out in the office and, like, book shows i didn't fuck i sucked at that too half the time i was trying to promote myself right so i got no bookings ever and uh the first one i know i'm going crazy but the first gig i actually got in new york city was at this place on queens boulevard and it was called play nice and it's crazy because it's like 
a pool hall on one side, a bowling alley at, in, on the other side, and then a smoking room that was glassed in down the middle with a DJ. Right. Coming from upstate New York, I'd never seen no shit like this well, before. Well, where, where's, where was the DJ booth, though? Oh, it was like back in those, you know, the when day you when climb. the DJ booth was yeah. like a fucking ladder. To so get back up there. in the day, but with yeah. crates, bro, I'm telling you, I'm pulling these crates up this ladder. It's like crazy, and I'm setting up. And back then, you know, house DJs, the bass would hit so hard sometimes that it fuck up the records. So do you put tennis balls underneath dude, the turntables? No, <laughs> in New York City, they would be on rubber bands. So right. they'd be moving. I'd never seen any shit like that before. So I wasn't accustomed to it. And I'm like, it's like so foreign to me. I can't, I'm a scratching DJ. Right. You can't really scratch on those. So I was like, oh man, I'm going to suck so bad. My first gig in New York, I'm trying to press this kid. Then my friend comes upstairs. He goes like, yo, guess who's downstairs to hear you DJ right now? Who is that? My man? first gig in New York City, Scribble came out to support me and that's listen dope. to me DJ. And the that's legend. Scribble the was legend. Like, shout yeah. out Scribble. That's when he was like the biggest DJ at the time because he was on MTV at that time. And that was the first time you actually saw a DJ on television was Scribble. And then right. it became AM. Yep. Scribble was before AM. You know what I mean? He He created that. I, that that space for AM to come into, you know what I mean? People forget that. AM was an amazing DJ, one of my favorite DJs, but Scribble was the first person to be on television. The guy had a fucking toy, for God's sake. So what was the set like? What Scribble see? I don't know. I don't even remember. I remember playing a lot of, uh, what was it, G-Unit shit. Was that oh, that yeah, time? heavy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what to do. I'm not DJing for a dance floor. I'm DJing for people playing fucking... Pool, pool, <laughs> and, and smoking butts, <laughs> smoking butts, and they had board games. They were playing that shit that you drop the thing and whatever. It Connect is. four. Connect four. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was cool. It was cool, but it was like, man. I, I mean, I thought it was the greatest gig of my life to gig in the city that I've always loved. Right. You know what I mean. And then you started gigging from there. Yeah, slowly but surely. Didn't again. It just it, it was a grind, man. Nothing was handed to me. That's good. That's a way to work at it. And I think a lot. I think that's the thing that a lot of these younger DJs, um, you know, being as a promoter and them hitting me up and things, they think that they can just practice, you know, in practice, which is great. But in order to play in front of a big club or something, you have to start. You have to read your audience. There's other things besides just practicing. I have a, a great thing about that too. Everybody's Please. like. Enlighten us. Enlighten us, Jason. Everybody's like, oh, they got these computer programs like a DJ. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yo, you can get every computer program in the world, but no computer program is going to be able to look. This is the hardest part of DJ. Anybody could DJ. Your mom could DJ. Yeah. Anybody could fucking DJ now. Shout out to mom. But anybody yeah. could DJ back then, though, too. Like, I've known big DJs that couldn't mix a record, but they could rock a party. Right. So it doesn't matter. You won't about name them. That. No, <laughs> I'm but just kidding. The thing is, the most important thing about DJing isn't the way you play the music. It's about seeing what your crowd wants, mm. and that can't be read by a computer program. That's amazing. So yeah. I'm not worried about a day coming when there's not going to be DJs anymore. Right. I'm sure. Fucking fifty years down the line, there's going to be processing to tell what people's facial expressions are saying right, about right. the music they're hearing or some shit. But 
as of I don't see that foreseen that, that happening anytime soon. So no, that's great. I mean, yeah, and, and that goes to the fact of you know practice all you want stuff like that, but playing out even if it's the smallest gig. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of these kids like have these like little DJ routines that they do, and that's cool and shit. But sometimes people don't want to see that shit. Right, right. Play the song. Yeah. I think that's the hardest thing about if you even go to like a place that has a, you know, uh, not necessarily a DJ, but you go to a restaurant that has a playlist, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you you're still like, can't, yeah. You can't create. It you can't, can't create. create that same atmosphere. Absolutely not. Yeah. You have to look at it like it's a canvas and you're a painter and you're walking in and you're just seeing your blank white canvas there. Yep. But... You know, the importance of the club has a lot of importance to it, too, because there's energy there. That building, you just have to bring something to it because the club already has energy in it, but you just have to bring it to another level. You know what I mean? Give me give me five clubs that have energy when you walk in. Well, Omnia is probably one of the crazy. Omnia Vegas. Omnia Vegas. Okay. Going, talking like... Back in the day and everything, though, too, the yeah. first time I went to a club was was Limelight, and it was like, wow, Peter I didn't Gation. even know, yeah, I did Peter Gation, and I didn't know who was DJing or anything, and I wasn't in the house music at that time, and I just went by myself because I was on a trip to New York, and I just walk in there and I'm just looking around like, holy shit! If people don't know Limelight was an old church. It was an old church, and it still converted. had the pews on the side where you could wow. sit down and have a drink and. You could see all the uh, the stained glass was still in there and shit. And I remember the lights just going black in this club, right? And there's like those like industrial stairwells that you'd go up to different floors. It was insane. The club goes black. The DJ has a fog light. And every time the bass would go, whoa, he would go from the one side of the DJ booth to the other. And that's all you saw in this it's club filled light. with thousands of people. And that's before table service. Right, right. So, so everybody everybody's is dancing just, on, on the floor. Nobody yeah. is better than anybody else. It's just a good time. So how long was it since you were, walked in first time to Limelight? To yeah. playing that limelight. I actually played the limelight before it ended, and that was before it came Avalon, and Avalon didn't stick around so much. So I'd say six, seven years. Wow. So I went there when I was 19, and I DJed there probably when I was like some age, was after it, 19. <laughs> <laughs> was it amazing walking in there? The, it was amazing walking in the first time, just going there. Just going there. Now, was it amazing to walk in when you're carrying your records yeah. and being like, I'm it was very, it was very intimidating room to play because the DJ booth was crazy. Like it had a bathroom in it, it had a glass door. Like nobody could come in there. There's room. It was the craziest DJ booth I've ever been in. And at that time, I think Biggie just passed. Oh no, there was a bootleg. Biggie record that came out and the chorus was like now I'm in the limelight because I'm Ryan Tyson you know it wasn't juicy but it, the chorus was the sample of Biggie saying right. juicy and I remember I just got that record that week and nobody wow. ever really heard it yet because it was like a bootleg shitty record and I had doubles of it and I just there's a moment where I was just going between now I'm in the limelight now I'm in the limelight back and forth like transitioning as a DJ from the, one record to the other and repeating it wow and I, I remember, like, almost crying, bro. It was insane. Now what happened to all those records now? Where's all the vinyl now? Uh, 
half are at my mother's house. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot in my apartment because I still want to rip stuff. There's still stuff on vinyl that you can't get on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like acapellas and instrumentals and shit right. like that. Like, where's your records? Uh, storage, yeah. See, a lot of people get yeah. rid of them. I'm looking at, I like, haven't got rid of them, yeah. The problem... I think I have, like, 10,000. I have a lot. Yeah, I have about oh, a lot. I mean, that's another thing is, uh, you know, I'd probably be rich by now from DJing, but unfortunately <laughs> I'm not because I had to buy records. Well, These kids didn't have to invest the, any money into this. I had, every record I played cost between 5 and $10. Oh, yeah. I have over probably 100,000 records. And they're singles, too. They're singles, yeah. So it wasn't like you're getting the whole album. You're not getting a whole album. Yeah. And speaking of you haven't been DJing, yeah, we might be getting some back to DJing, and hopefully soon. What do you yeah. think about that? I think it's great news, man. I, I, it's exciting it's, news, right? It's exciting, yeah. Because again, it's not about work for me. Like somebody asked me, like, well, maybe you should find a hobby or something to do. I already have a hobby, but the unfortunate part is the only hobby I've ever had my entire life is actually my work. Mm-hmm. So it's been hard for me to find another hobby. I need that creative space. I really enjoy DJing because I really enjoy sharing moments with individual people that are in the crowd. And what I love most is you could be having the shittiest day ever and you could end up going out and I could make you forget about all that shittiness for at least 20 minutes. I totally agree with you. And I, I mean, miss yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's to me too. I could be in the worst mood ever and a song comes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm turning it, it up. It takes you to a different me, place, man. takes me out of that, you know. And and I think that, that can happen. And I think especially, and that's what I always say to people that, you know, come to the clubs, especially to come see us or to come, what they do, they, they bust their ass, you know, seven days a week, five days a week, 40 hours a day work week. And they, it actually and they, sucks. And, and yeah. they have like five they hours. They work a job they hate, which I don't. So I don't know what it's like to and work. They, and they yeah. come to see us for five hours and, and have like a great time and just release all that energy. And we just, th- those are the moments that, you know, when people and that's the reason people come back that's the reason you have fans and supporters that's why you want to have this creative space to create something you need to create different scenes for people so people continue to be you know experiences you need to create different experiences that's what i try to do i might dj so right now i'm djing every saturday at a clothing store right Mm -hmm. i could go in there and play the same fucking set every saturday but the reason one of the reasons they keep me coming back is because i want to give them a different experience every time time that's awesome and that's part of what you do i think you create these experiences and i think the dj is actually the the enhancer of that experience 100 percent. and i think you know i don't book all of the djs um the clubs i work at but i think but you're still but i think it's a huge huge aspect of it i think that the even how they play the songs, it could be the same exact 10 songs, how they play it, when they mix in, when they blend in, when they get on the mic, whatever it may be, those 10 songs played by five different DJs can totally totally set a different mood. So going back to what I said earlier about the DJ that didn't mix one record but was rocking a party, probably one of the greatest parties I've ever been to. Didn't mix a record. He mixed on beat, but they weren't actually blending together. Right, right. You know what I mean? He was just dropping records, bro. And it was just like, 
holy shit, that's fire. That's awesome. It was a, it was actually a performance more than a guy DJ at that's that great. point. Yeah. yeah, but it was it was it was well done. You know what I mean? It was it was a, a party was created out of that. And I think this has to do with it too, and I, how we came up with the name. Uh, I'm the promoter, he's the DJ. I think it goes hand in hand, uh, promoters and DJs, um, relying on each other. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, bringing bringing the crowd for the DJ to to rock it. You know, uh, you know, it's not always the DJ's job, which we can get into later about bringing the crowd. But yeah, yeah, I've definitely lo- going back to that real quick. Touching on that, I remember being in New York, and the, the struggle that I had was I wasn't from New York. Mm-hmm. I was an outsider, right? So the promoter would be like, "Yo, you can DJ, but can can you bring like twenty people?" Uh, no, because I don't know twenty people in New York City. I right. just moved here. Yeah. So I would lose out of a gig for for a shitty DJ would be DJ. But he brought people. But he brought people. Yeah. And the owner didn't care. The, the owner, owner didn't, didn't care yeah, as long as saw the people. bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So as a promoter, was that something that you've had to deal with before? Or? Yeah, all the time. But I've I've come to the fact that it's not the DJ's job. It is. But it some is, promoters don't know. That, oh, hundred percent. I agree on that. I think it's a, it, a cherry on top that the, the person can bring extra people. I think that's a great yeah. incentive. That's a that's another like kind of skill that the DJ has. But it's not the DJ's job. No. And and the and I want the DJ to focus on the night coming yeah. in as opposed to, you know. Getting a guest list ready and being, you know, bringing yeah, all his guys it, it, in. It, it distracts you from doing your job. Absolutely. Like, uh, there's a reason why when artists perform, like in a band or something, they have a rider. So they have everything that makes them feel comfortable going into the performance. So that's, they don't have to worry about anything. Absolutely. And when you have DJs, oh, I have to do this. It's all that extra shit. It's just like, takes away from that it comes almost down to it like yo you want a tattoo all right there's two options there's this guy over here that's really good and he's gonna charge you 300 bucks but then you got frank around the corner that does really good too but you're gonna pay 50 bucks right you pay for a 50 dollar tattoo you're gonna get a fucking 50 dollar tattoo yeah there's a difference sometimes you gotta have that extra people hire me because they can rely on that i'm gonna do my job to the best capacity that i can right. capability or whatever yeah and he crushes it you guys should see i do yeah. but i i don't want to fall in that format either of every time you hear me dj you're like oh it's this again or like that again i bring something different every time not only for myself but i pretend like i dj for these people every day absolutely but it's a different person i just go into that mentality because i have to create that in energy yeah, you know what well, I mean. Energy's up there, but there's, but again, your job is 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 way more important. I think I don't think it's more important. I think I think it, they each have their aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, there would, I mean, there's a reason that clubs just don't open their doors and um and have promoters. Be, well, yeah, yeah, you have to have because uh, you know they would have nobody in there unless it's a place can be super hype for six months, but to maintain. Oh yeah. You have to, to have long Yeah. Every, and, and place is, that, every place is hot. First couple of months right, it's yeah. open. Cause it's new. The, the key word is longevity. And, yeah. and then I think that attests to how long we've been in the game too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we I've must be doing something. Yeah. yeah. You have to adapt. You have to adapt a hundred percent. You know, you, you get older, but your clientele almost stays the same age. So you have to adapt and create a relationship with these younger kids that you may not have z- 
anything in common right. with. So how do you do that? You have to, here's the thing, you have to know what they like, what's cool. It doesn't matter what you think is cool, is what you have to. That's it, hard. It is. Because, because yeah, I don't want to. like me DJing yeah, they, they, they want a reality star to host. I think that's the cheesiest thing ever. Yeah, but yeah. does it work? Yeah, it works. And then how do you make it work to incorporate so you just don't have a cheesy party? You have a dope DJ. You have the. You have to balance it yeah, somehow. You absolutely balance it. So I just don't veer to whatever is the coolest you mix it in. You you know you bring in you know I don't I don't I, I don't like some kinds of music that are out right That's now. What I was gonna say yeah 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 yeah. The new stuff I don't I I didn't grow up on that. I don't like that. Is it hot for these kids? And is that gonna bring some kids in there? Yeah yeah. yeah. So I don't want the it's night. Hard to understand. Yeah. So you mix that music in there. Yeah, I agree on that. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I play that I don't always like either. But there's some stuff that you have to. You know what I mean? It's not about me. I'm not doing. If I want to DJ for myself, I could. I could do it at my my apartment. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not about me. I'm. It's about my crowd. You know what I mean? So once once you get the people in the door, that's not the end of your job, is it? No, absolutely not. No. What, I, I think there's two separations. I think there's the VIP host and then there's the general promoter. I've, you know, kind of incorporated. What's the difference? Yeah. So the promoter is just bringing people in there, just getting people in the door to pay the general admission, to pay the cover, get in the door, bring the girls in, things of that nature. The VIP host is, I think, more in charge of bringing the higher clientele, which spends the money, gets the VIP tables, um, you know, that enjoys being in the private section and things like that. And yeah, I yeah, think yeah. those are the people that come back every week. Yes, I'd love to have, you know, the general admission come back every week, and it's great if they do. But I think it's, you know, having a connection to VIPs where they come back, they trust you, they know that they're going to have a good time. They know that, yes, they're spending money, but yeah. that, that money is going to be, you know... Well spent. Well they're spent. Gonna, they're yeah. not just giving you fucking money to just... Take a being right, taken advantage right. of, um, and I think that you know, and then it's personal, you know, personal care. You know, they like being, you know, some people like being attended to. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I need more girls over here. I need more bottles, whatever the case may be. Well, there's but, also another aspect of promoting. I don't really know, but I've seen it in in like New York. Like, I've been to a club one time, and there's say this club had 14 tables. 11 of those tables are promoter tables. Right. So what? How? How does that work? They're not the VIP host. They're just getting paid to have a table. I don't understand how that works. So I I usually don't do that, and because I'm running around so much, the promoter table is just to have a table to fill with good looking people, popular people, things like that. So the promoter yeah, yeah, has yeah. a bottle so that he and his friends can sit down and have you know the the good-looking girls and everything like that. So that the club, so if it's 11 on the 14, 11 tables are going to have good-looking people and like that. To the, create the To create the vibe, the, yeah. Those yeah. three tables. Yeah, absolutely. So the other tables look in there, wow, room full of beautiful people. You know, this is yeah, going to yeah, be a yeah, good yeah. night. And I think that's, you know, you're presenting something. I mean, that's a lot of nightlife. You're presenting something that's that's not really there. So those promoters yeah. are just going there to host the table. They're not actually well, like and bring, no, but they probably bring, they have to bring their their certain amount of people to the table. Yeah, yeah. but they're not spending money though. No, probably they're not. just making yeah. it look good for those other three 100%. tables. That they're gonna I spend. Understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. That they're gonna spend. So should we get into some positive news? As always, oh, we got some oh, news. Oh, <laughs> break, breaking news. There's some positive news. 
All right, what's the positive news right, for this week, So, man? the news is bad. Really yeah, bad all the yeah, time. all the time. So, we figure that I'm the promoter, he's the DJ, we'll get some positive news. So, uh, you know, we wanted to give you some positive news. This week's positive news comes from a legend in the rap game, an entrepreneur and a champagne mogul. Yeah. Uh, this week, Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy brand, bought 50% of Jay-Z's stake in the champagne Ace of Spades. Okay. In 2006, he gave the brand a boost when he featured one of the Ace of Spades bottles in the Show Me What You Got video after a public fallout with his former go-to champagne, Cristal, which I haven't seen in the club in forever. Well, I thought thought Jay-Z bought Ace of Spades because of he wanted rappers to be buying champagne that is, like... You know, owned by you know another rapper or something like that. That that might be the case. I know that he had a fallout with another Cristal. artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the guy from Cristal said something ridiculous, and and eight years later, Jay Z bought. Oh, the, that's right, Cristal. Yeah. yeah, he said something stupid. Yeah, yeah Jay Z bought the company that makes Ace of Spades in 2021. Has a 50 percent partnership with Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy. Nice. So keep on investing. Keep brand loyal. I think that was what started being brand loyal. And congrats to Jay Z. Yeah, he's a mogul, man. That this week's positive going. news. Yeah, man. That's it, man. Yeah. That's the positive news for this week. So let me get a, where can they find you? You can find me, my Instagrams, Jason Smith Music. And you go from there, you can find out where I am. I'm, I'm not so I'm also, in my bedroom a lot playing music. So also follow uh I'm the promoter. He's the DJ on Instagram. Yeah, man. And we'll catch more episodes. First episode in the books. That's it. And we have guests lined up that you guys are going to love to hear their stories and stuff. Some more stories. More legends. Yeah, dude. Coming up. Stay tuned.